0: This is an Annapolis bonus podcast.
1: Joining us today on the phone is somebody that I would say is almost an invisible guy. He's never on the news standing in front of a burning building. He's not being interviewed by Jamie Costello about the latest string of robberies in some neighborhood. And probably, thankfully, he's not the guy announcing a tax increase or any additional COVID restrictions. But I might argue that he's one of the most important guys responsible for what County Executive Pittman likes to call the best place for all. We have Chris Phipps, who is the Director of Public Works for Anne Arundel County. And we wanted to touch base and just dig a little bit deeper into what we really don't know about public works, which is so important. How are you,
0: Chris? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me, John.
1: Good. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your day to give us a call. You know, I just wanted to check in because Public Works is such a large organization, not even organ- large department, and it's so vital to everything that we really take for granted. I would have to say. I, I was looking at your uh, bio on the uh, county website, and it looks like you're up you're up to twenty five years here with the county.
0: That's right. Yep.
1: Wow. Okay. So now you're not getting ready to retire or anything, are you? <laughs>
0: Not, not not, of my own volition, but, you know, you never know what
1: happens. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I, I will say that you were uh, – you'd worked for the county for about, what, 15 years, and then County Executive Laura Newman named you as acting director and then uh, made it a permanent thing, and you survived County Executive Newman, you survived County Executive Shue, and you are now surviving County Executive Stuart Pittman. So we've got both sides of the, uh, of the fence there. So you must be doing something right when it comes down to uh, managing this department.
0: Well, you know, I, I really I, I try to be humble because I've really followed the footsteps of some really strong leaders. So i, I I've been in, I've inherited a really good, well oiled operation, and I just kind of feel like it's my job to keep it that way. And uh, so I'm really appreciative of the, the folks that led before me and the culture that they've in- instituted in the department. I think it's gone a long way to keep us uh, together, and I've, I've I've really benefited from that
1: quite frankly. Well, I I will say personally, I've not had a whole lot of direct involvement with public works, but every time I have, it's been stellar, whether it be the uh, hazardous waste removals up at the, um, the dump is probably not the right word, but, uh, you know, up in in gambrels and with water billing and everything else throughout the year has just been really, really stellar. I mean, and I do agree with you. I think you've got a very good team. Public works, Handles. I mean, the obvious things we think about are roads, signs, trash and water, and obviously recycling gets jumped in there as well. But you guys are, you know, you guys are very all-encompassing. You touch any number of different places, right?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the, the easiest way to sort of um, visualize it is if you just script your own day. Um, you know, you wake up in the morning. You What's the first thing you do? Probably... Put on a pot of coffee. Uh, How do you do that? You need to turn the faucet on and get some water. Then you jump in the shower. Then you brush your teeth, all requiring water. And then that water goes somewhere. It has to be treated and disposed of safely um, to the Chesapeake Bay. Um, And then you're off on the road. And, oh, before that, you may have put your trash out um, and you're recycling. And then you're off on the road and you're traveling down the road, crossing bridges. And you're just, I guess there's an inherent trust that that road, that bridge, um, is safe. You're not really thinking about it, just like you're not really thinking about the water you consumed in the morning, that it is safe and it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, clean to drink. So, you, and it just goes, the list goes on. You come home and then you pick up that uh, recycling bin, trash bin, you take it back into the home. And it, you're right. It's, it's something that uh, I think, you know, most of us take for granted. And then in many ways that's, that's kind of, if if that's the case, we're kind of doing our job. Um, I think, because, we're not um, creating, um, you know, disruptions to what everyone believes is normal life, and it's it's the fabric that supports our whole, you know, way of life, and we don't have to think about it. But I kind of look at it like uh, some people call us the unseen army. I I see it more like if you picture a dark sky night and you're and you you don't see the sc- the stars until you look closely, and then you see the the sky is illuminated with countless And it's kind of like that. You know, if you if you stop and think about it and and visualize what's going on around you, I think then um, our presence becomes more known. That's a great analogy. uh, Yeah. And also I look at it. Oftentimes, you know, you know, God bless the first responders. They they're out there, you know, battling crime and fires and and uh, all kinds of things that could threaten um, our society but i often think of us as the pre first uh, responders because if there if the roads aren't clear and the bridges aren't safe and the and the water's not there for putting out fires or suppressing fires um they can't do their job so uh and if you think of snow snow uh services you know in the wintertime clearing the roads of uh you know winter weather uh, again and the first response without the pre first responders so kind of look at it that way too, um, which is sort of that out of sight, out of mind, getting the job done so that those who uh, are more visible, and you certainly can hear the ambulances and fire trucks coming at you down the road, um, they they can do their job.
1: Exactly what it is. You just don't realize what it is. And I think that analogy you made with the stars is fantastic, because as you said, I get up and I, I take my shower, I brush my teeth, I and and my daughter lives actually in North Carolina and they had a a bridge that just collapsed on a news crew the other, other week they were just sitting there reporting about some flooding and it took out the bridge. And again, you don't, you take that for granted that I'm able to drive on the road and the, and the bridge is not going to fall down and the the traffic lights are going to work for the most part. And, um, it's, it's, it's invisible to most people, but it's critical to everybody else. And you guys have won a lot of awards though, too, over the years as well. And I know that, um, I I was just quick looking back on some of the stuff that we had done. I mean, I know you got an environmental award back in 2018 from uh, Green and Sustainable Environmental Efforts, and then there was the uh, Wastewater Excellence Award in 2019. Quite a sexy thing, just like the uh, Emmys, I imagine. uh,
0: Yeah, well, it's certainly something our staff is proud of. Um, It may not uh, translate well into the uh, normal public, but to us, it means a lot. Because, you know, it's, it's how we rank among our peers. And I think, um, you know, we do extremely well. And, I, I, you know, I, I was chuckling with the staff here. One of my leading um, notes was going to be, hey, we're not perfect here at, the, at Public Works, but we strive for perfection every day. And, um, and because when we do like to um, share the awards that we have, it's not even so much for the public as much as it is for the workforce here to make, to make them aware of how proud it is that we are of the work that they deliver. And you're right. We, we, every year we, we compete really well in the uh, Water Environment Federation has a program for um, peak performance. And just this past year, our wastewater plants, we achieved um, silver performance for our Cox Creek facility, which is if you have five or less exceptions in a year, we had gold for Annapolis, Broadneck, and, and Patuxent water reclamation, reclamation facilities, and that's no exceptions for the year. And we, and we got Broadwater and uh, Maryland City. In this case, Broadwater's had 28 years of perfect compliance, and Maryland City's had 12 years running perfect compliance. So they get a, a platinum award, and it's really uh, – we're one of the few in the nation that achieved that level of performance across the board. Um, we were also recognized um, uh, that within, with the water program that as a um, water of the utility of the future now is what they call it. And that's for the levels of innovation, performance, reliability, the culture we've instilled in our staff, focus and delivery of service we provide, and they've recognized this in that um, uh, just this year, and also, um, we've been really competitive. Uh, MDE has a, a Clean Water Commerce Act. It's a grant program. It's really a competitive grant program. Um, Ten million dollars a year. Um, that's paid. the The funds come from the Bay Restoration Fund, and it's to stimulate innovative um, alternative means of and cost effective means. Really, that's the 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 biggest criteria they use in selecting the awardees is. You know the cost of of, of, a nutri- of a pound of nitrogen removed, and we've won the last two years, um, eight, 18 million dollars that we'll be able to expend over the next seven years to sub- basically to support our utility operation, which is really leading the state in in terms of nutrient reductions that are delivered to the bay. We're we're by far below um, our permit and um, really setting records as far as the state's concerned as it relates to that. And to the extent that we're doing that, we're, we're getting paid for it—18 $18 million to support those activities. So there's just a lot that we could go on and on about, about how, you know, I think we're being recognized and rewarded financially for these types of achievements.
1: Well, congratulations to you and your team on that one. My gosh, because I mean, Anne Arundel County is so, I mean, we're so water centric. I, I think, I think we have the most coastline of any county in the state, right? I think that's what I had heard. I think: point.
0: Well, I, th- I think technically we're second to Talbot County just because they have so many estuaries and nooks and crannies. But yeah, I mean, from a, as a developed, urbanized uh, county, we are the you know the, the most shoreline over 500 miles. And, shoreline. and
1: but but I mean, we're so centric to the bay and the in the environment and we're so sensitive to the environment, which is, uh, you know, and, and certainly it makes sense that you guys are turning around and turning up whatever rocks you possibly can get to get the grants that you need to make this as good. And obviously it's it's showing in the awards that you're receiving for, the, you know, for the whole team that's putting it together.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, we also just recently elevated our bureau or it's now called the Bureau of Watershed Protection and Restoration which was an activity that was embedded in our Bureau of Engineering, but because of the span and scope of their um, services now and really for transparency so uh, everyone can see what they are delivering. You don't have to go through the Bureau of Engineering to figure it out. We've come a long way in expanding their role in providing um, watershed restorations and what we call best management practices in ponds and retrofits, um, and utilizing some really neat technology there, too, where we optimize the volume in some of our older stormwater ponds, and we use weather-sensing technology and dynamic level control so we can sense storms that are coming and adjust the volume in a pond and uh, maximize uh, the levels of treatment. So they've come a long way. Um, the, Eric Michelson was newly appointed or newly um, selected uh Administrator for that program, and you know he's really leading a great effort to, I'd say you know put Anne Arundel County number one as it relates to stormwater management and watershed activities in the state of Maryland. Well, Eric and, Eric, uh, was,
1: Eric was down with the uh, South River Federation, wasn't he at one point?
0: Yes, or? that's that's where that's where he was uh, prior to him coming to the county when uh, when we created the watershed program, uh, which was really a result of House Bill nine eighty seven which at the time required counties to establish a dedicated revenue for um, stormwater activities. And so that that's what really generated the momentum for us to create the, all these activities and expand what we were already doing, but on a much higher level. And it's really grown and matured. And we're just really excited about the kinds of things that we're doing um, to meet our, our permit obligations and go and beyond. Um, in fact, uh, just yesterday, we, uh, our previous permit is, is, will be expiring, and MDE is now um, publicly advertising our coming permit. It's a five-year permit that we're obligated to, uh, to meet, and we had a public hearing last night on it. And, um, you know, some of the, the very uh, vested stakeholders like Chesapeake Bay Foundation, Arundel Rivers Federation, they were um, in on the call providing some commentary um, but we're anxious and excited to um, get going on our next permit, which is really driven around impervious area treatment. So the county, if, if you go back, we have 30,000 30, acres of impervious area that's untreated. Um, and we've historically had a requirement to reduce 20 percent of that impervious area, provide stormwater treatment to that. So that's last permit cycle, 6,000 acres, um, this time around, the the state realized all the counties in the state were that was just a a, a Herculean um, requirement that really couldn't be met within the five year time frame. So it is they've changed it to ten percent. Actually, for us, they're making it twelve percent because they know we can do better. <laughs> right, right. I, I find that interesting. How our permit is actually uh, has a higher uh, threshold. And it's because, I, I guess, it, it fits in the age-old adage of uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Exactly
1: exactly <laughs> so what I was thinking.
0: Yeah, so um, – but, you know, we're, we're happy to oblige because all of this goes towards meeting the state's Bay Pollution Diet, you know, the, the, what we call the TMDL, Total Maximum Daily Load. So it's our contribution to that. Um, we're just going to be regulated to meet it, and so it does put a lot of pressure on us to um, – you know, make sure that we're not backsliding, make sure that we're being as efficient and effective as possible in delivering these, these enhancements, these stream restorations and whatnot, and, and we're gear, gaming up to do so. You know, that's what we're doing is this is, this is um, I guess, making up for the sins of the past. You know, if you go back 30, 40, 50 years ago, and the count, much of the county was developed in that time. If you think of the post-World War II, if you look at the growth rates of the county, they were booming after World War II. And much of that development occurred in an era where there was no stormwater management requirement. So we're really going back in and retrofitting a lot of those communities or those impervious area from those communities that were never outfitted, equipped with stormwater management. So whereas today, a new subdivision is required to provide stormwater management to a level what we call um, pre-existing forested condition. That's how much um, stormwater management is required on new development so we're really going back and kind of you know reversing some of those sins of the past we didn't didn't know at the time i shouldn't call them sins of the past i mean they were just it was we didn't have the knowledge um back then that 50 60 70 years down the road we'd be faced with with such a challenge uh with the water quality in the bay
1: sure sure Mm -hmm. without and and it's been such a a tough time to get out of that hole that we've Dug over the years as well. I mean, you know, you see the Bay Report card coming out every year and it's, you know, it fluctuates, but it's never really what it was, as you said, 40 or 50 years ago, um, as this all started to do. I'd like to switch switch tracks a little bit here. And you'd mentioned earlier that you think of yourselves as sort of like the pre first responders, but regardless of what's happening in the world, and I'm talking about COVID here at this point, uh, everything that you need to do has to go on. There's, you know, that's, you don't have the luxury of, putting your, your trash guys from working at home. You have no luxury of having the guys that are running the water plants and making sure that the water is flowing and the sewage is flowing the other way all working right. You guys are uh, not wearing guns or stethoscopes, and you, know, you may not have sirens on your trucks, but you definitely are essential frontline workers in what seemingly is a never-ending COVID situation. But how are you guys keeping your employees safe? I mean, obviously I'm assuming that those that can work from home are how are you keeping the the guys that are actually out there on the front line? And I say guys, I mean guys and girls.
0: Sure, sure, of course. Um, well, it, it it varies by uh, unit, work unit, um, and certainly, yeah, the office workers who have the ability to telework have the technology to telework, and their work their work na- the nature of their work itself lends itself to that. We are teleworking to the extent we possibly can. And that's actually gone really well. I mean, I think everybody's gotten more and more accustomed to the technology and the the zooming and the Google meets and all those things. Um, and we've gotten pretty proficient at that. Uh, now, but the work crews out in the field touching the, the, the infrastructure, that is a different story. And what we've, what we've had to do is in some cases, um, because our biggest fear is that one person who is, potentially a positive case could contaminate an entire work crew. And that's especially a concern at our water treatment plants, wastewater plants. We cannot afford to lose them all because of one uh, case. So what we've done is we've gone to A and B shifts so that, you know, not at at any given time at most half of, a, uh, and, and usually, you know, obviously the basics are in play too, where we're doing social distancing, wearing masks, And washing hands and all that so even when they're on site they're doing all of that but at at worst only half could be um affected at any given time and we're also doing the same for um for our our line workers so uh some of the road crews the water and sewer repair crews that are out there in the workforce doing things we've just had to scale back now They're all on standby, so should should something occur that we need to um, bring them in, they are available and ready to work. What's not getting done are some of the day-to-day sort of the the preemptive, proactive work is just being put on a back burner Um, until such time we get back to normal times, and then those work crews – can, if there aren't emergencies and repairs, they're doing that preemptive, pre- proactive maintenance work. So now the, the one area work unit that, that we, that really is unable to, you know, be uh, diminished, I guess, because of uh, the risk of exposure is our waste management folks. So the folks at the landfill and the recycling centers, they are there every day, um, day in, day, well, six days a week. And that's just because it's it's such a public-facing um, thing. And it's also what we're seeing is a change in, in people's daily lives. They're not at work anymore. They're at home. They're generating more trash at home. And they also, because they're at home, sometimes, I guess, to break up the monotony of the day, they like to go visit the recycling center. So we're actually seeing increased visits to the recycling center, to the landfill, and increased volume of material. And so that's That's kind of a double duty on our waste management folks because they don't have the luxury of splitting crews and sharing uh, work um, and they're getting a higher workload to confront. So it's sort of a a bit of a a dilemma with them. But what we're just enforcing is social distancing, mask wearing and washing um, as much as possible. The benefit is they're outside, too. So it's not. That's just one benefit we get, uh, I guess, or uh, as it relates to exposure to uh, the COVID.
1: True. Boy, there's a yet yet another unintended consequence of this virus that's going around. Everybody I talk to has some, hey, we didn't see this coming type of, you know. We, yeah. You know, more, more trash, more people heading over to the recycling plant and everything else. On, on recycling, recycling used to be a real pain in the neck. Uh, back when it first came out, I remember we had to sort – you know, clear glass, brown glass, green glass, and you know, tin foil went in one, and paper went in another, and all that kind of stuff. And then it was made easy; just throw it all into a bin, and we'll take care of that. Now that goes out to a plant where it actually sorts the paper from the tin from the or the aluminum from the uh, the plastic. But lately, there's been I don't want to say a glitch, but a, a change in that where that some plastics like the grocery bags and stuff like that need to be removed. And that's because it gums up the machines?
0: Yeah, it gums up the gears and the the machinery at the sorting facility. So, yes, we've – and, in fact, um, back in 2018 – and a lot of this, if if you even go back further, um, contamination of recycling um, is a big issue that the industry is is having to deal with. And a lot of that is being driven – was being driven by – where did our recycled material go? It went to the you know, East Asian countries. They took that material as a raw source and then made products out of it. Well, as their, their uh, manufacturing processes were getting more and more um, precise, they couldn't really accept the highly contaminated recycled material. So they started to push back um, to the developed countries like the United States and insisting upon cleaner and cleaner less contaminated recycled material which then if you you know you go through the the food chain of recycled material that gets back to us and then um and the and our customers and requiring that we in fact be more mindful um uh, conscientious of what can be recycled and what can't be because i think you're right i, I mean maybe it was a, there was a sense of complacency um on us as well as the customers that, hey, we can just, now we've gone single stream, we could throw it in there and let somebody else figure it out. Well, now that concept has kind of been turned on its head just because of what's happened in China and Indonesia and the Eastern Asian countries, which were using this as a raw material. And what was happening was our, we contract all of this out, as you know, we, it goes to um, a resorting facility in Howard County and we have a contract with them and the contract called for no greater than 12% um, contamination rate. Well, 2018, when all this was coming to a head, we did a, a sort and they, they, uh, we collectively uh, measured we had a 28%, I mean, a 26% contamination rate. So we were far beyond our contract um, limit and it's just not good, right? 20, over a quarter of the material is contaminated. So we went on an aggressive, campaign, education and outreach campaign, and you may recall, I mean, and we're still in it, educating the community about can't have plastic bags, we can't have contaminated materials. And in fact, to the point where as much as we didn't want to, sometimes our collection contractors would have to leave stuff behind a a full bin, because it had too much, too many plastic bags and contamination in it. And we leave a, a label on that and explain why. And quite frankly, we would get quite a few upset customers um, because of that. But we had to start this process of changing behavior. We then measured our sort last year and we got it down to um, 14%. So we went from 26 down to 14. We were still outside our contract limit of 12. And then what we, but they were, they were like, okay, we're going to allow this, but we're going to charge you um, that 2% extra we they had to take it to the landfill so they were charging us for that service to take it to the landfill we just came off our most recent sort in October and we're down to 12% okay. so we're in contract limit and we're not paying extra and that extra that we were paying was in the um originally it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and now we're we're not paying anything for that residual contamination um rate so We've done a good job, and thanks to the the citizens, the residents of andanaroma county they they worked with us to um, really lower that contamination rate. and that's a that's a win-win because it's, it's the right thing to do sustainably. It also saves us a ton of money um, and, and keeps our program viable.
1: What are the mistakes that I'm making? in my my recycling. Okay. I'm, I'm pulling out my garb or my grocery bags and I'm putting them in the trash or I'm better yet. I'm taking them back to the grocery store and stuffing them in. Actually I use reusable bags, but, um, I mean, what are, what are people doing that is, that would help you take that 12% and drop it down to 10%? Is there, is there anything?
0: It's, it's the bags, um, quite frankly, and it could be any kind of, um, you know, the small bags, even grocery bags or, or some people will put all of their recycling in a plastic bag, like a, like a trash bag. We can't accept that. Um, hoses, rubber hoses, um, you know, uh, uh, contaminated food boxes, um, that sort of thing. I guess what we've called is wishful cycling where people think, well, this looks like it's something that's recyclable and it isn't. And in fact, we've, we've gotten now a, um, a new app, a new app called uh, Recycle Coach, which uh, somebody can and it's on our website and we we pushed the material out in our um, our uh, mailers. But it's it's uh, an application you can put on your phone. Um, you can ask questions. I guess it's uh, Siri or somebody. You ask the question, "Is this recyclable?" and the app is very customized to our our program, and she will tell you or he will tell you. Um, whether it is or not. Um, You can also just do it online. Just type in a question, type in a a product, and it will tell you whether it is recyclable or not. Oh, that's Um, really helpful. Styrofoam, you know, that's another one. People try to, you know, uh, continue to recycle, and we just, we don't accept it. Um, And of course, the, the new legislation will be Limiting at least the carry-out styrofoams anyway, um, but there's still, as you know, packing material. That's we get the, pa- I mean, everybody's doing Amazon now, right? right. Um, Prime, and you get the air bubbles, you get the the, the peanuts, you get everything. None of that's recyclable. Um, so, and yet we're getting more and more of it. Um, so it,
1: it's funny you talk about Amazon. Everybody's doing it. I was talking to a manufacturer who said that Amazon has gone because of their their shipping has gone up during this. They have basically signed master contracts with most of the corrugated cardboard people and manufacturers that are smaller than Amazon are having a tough time getting corrugated boxes. So it's like beer. um, Very few beers are coming in a, uh, like a six pack cardboard carrier. They're coming with the plastic rings on top because they're easier, even though a little bit more expensive to make, but they can get the product out.
0: Right. And so that plastic ring is not recyclable, <laughs> but the cardboard is, and cardboard, um, you know, it's, it is interesting. Um, the value of cardboard in the commodity recycling market is through the roof. So, um, you know, we, we value cardboard. We want to save and, um, you know, and bring as much of that as we can to our vendor for recycling. In fact, we take, we'll accept it uh, directly at our facility and we bail it ourselves as well. So if you go to the uh, Millersville uh, landfill there's a cardboard recycling uh, facility there and we actually have a baler and we'll do it and that way we can actually put it out on the spot market ourselves so we'll like intercept it if it's coming through our recycling like not from curbside but it, people that are coming into the millersville right. facility we'll, we'll intercept that cardboard divert it over to our uh, bailing operation and we'll do our own spot marketing for that and get even higher value
1: Interesting. Do you do you know how difficult it is to throw out a trash can, a trash can that had a crack in it, and it was a plastic trash can, and I put it out there in the recycling bin, and it was like, okay, they took all the recycling stuff, but they didn't uh, take the trash can, they just left it there. Okay, I said, okay, they didn't get it. Next week, it was like, okay, put it out there again, and with a note on it says, this is trash. Three weeks before, I got somebody to realize that I had to, you know, actually tear it up and put it in the thing, because they were like, oh yeah, no, we don't want to throw somebody's trash can away.
0: Well, that, that is a sensitive subject. We get that all the time. Um, and you know, what I don't think, what I think is, um, a good, this is, this is a good opportunity to do some outreach. Um, you have to realize we have 166,000 customer accounts. Okay. And we collect four days a week. So if you do the math, we're doing 41,000. We have, we're servicing 41,500 customers every day. Okay, And then on top of that, we're doing three visits to their house. We're picking up their trash, we're picking up their uh, recycling, and we're picking up their yard waste. So we're making 124,000 collections every day um, um, visiting. So if you think about it's hard for that collection crew to stop, think, and figure out, you know, is this, was it the intent of the homeowner to throw this uh, trash can away or not, along with the, the the contents, and so you can really get wrapped around the axle trying to figure that out if you're one of these collection crews. And they've got to keep going, you know. They've got, you know, there's like I say, 124,000 of these stops, uh, throughout any given day, so it is tough on them. Um, and we do get, I mean, and like I say, we're not perfect, um, that's why we have a, uh, we have a dispatch uh, group uh, of call takers that are busy um, taking calls from residents that somebody left my trash behind they left my recycling behind they they left the they threw the can uh, you know in the other guy's yard my neighbor's yard they you know they ran over it or the way they they dropped it it, it damaged it so we take every one of those calls seriously and um, and follow up on them but stuff happens when you've got that many collections going on any day. It has to,
1: it has to. I, you know, I can't imagine you guys, I mean, your customer service I think has been pretty stellar over the years. I I just can't imagine when you threw that number out there, $166,000 and that's just curbside. I mean, that's not dealing with the, uh, the use of a meme term, but the Karen driving down the road that went through a pothole that you know you may need to deal with, and you guys do a tremendous job. You and how many how many people keep this whole machine running totally in Public Works?
0: So we've got seven hundred and sixty positions, but you know with COVID and everything else, right. a, um, it's we're, we're down. We're we're at about ten percent of vacancy rate. So you know we're probably around six hundred and ninety um, actual uh, employees. You know running all this um, the operations. And yeah, you know highway That's highways, water, wastewater, um, solid waste, um, curbside, the uh, landfill, um, engineering. You know, delivering all the capital projects, watershed restoration, etc. And,
1: and that's from Brooklyn Park all the way down to uh, Calvert County on Rose, the on the low
0: end. Rose, yeah, Rose Haven. Yeah, we we in fact they're their furthest customer from a water wastewater perspective they're pretty remote down there but um servicing them as well interesting yeah
1: what's what's your largest division there or the largest bureau there?
0: uh the, you, utilities which is a combination of water and wastewater okay um and, and they're about uh, of that three of that 760 they're about 385 something like that
1: okay and what's your baby you grew up sort of grew up in the department where yeah grew-
0: so i i i started in um in engineering, basically delivering capital projects, uh, water, wastewater, roads. And then of course, and we, we touch other organizations. I mean, we, we deliver capital projects for fire, police, wrecks, and parks, the library. I mean, you know, the, the most recent, the Annapolis community library, that was ours. Sure. We delivered that, um, the, uh, the police training academy, um, the new police station out in Eastern district, fire station in Galesville, Jacobsville is under construction, um, and Rex and parks were, were always uh, supporting you know the expansion of their parks and um, the trail network uh, broadneck trail we just recently completed a segment of that we got another one going out to bid soon um, we'll be bit we'll be building the bridge across the Patuxent River which will link the the wB and a trail it's the final yeah the WB that's the final segment for us is getting across the river and it will uh, connect it to Prince George's County's it's all part of that East Coast Greenway, um, which is like over 2,000 miles, you know, stretching from Maine to Florida. But that is a, a critical link right there, that, that final link. And that's going to be going to bid um, sometime probably early spring. And, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the list goes on um, in terms of the capital projects that we, we deliver.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, what else don't we know as we wrap up? What don't we know about what would be a something like – Oh, I had no idea they did that.
0: Well, I, I think you know some of the best kept secrets are um, you know the, the the technologies that we rely on to deliver services, and um, and really you know what, where we're this county is maturing, right? So we have limited resources, yet we are we do continue to grow. So the the demands on our infrastructure are, are increasing, and yet we're not you know, because we're kind of in a built environment, it's hard to build new capacity. So what we're, a lot of our focus is on how do we extract the remaining capacity in the infrastructure we have um, so that we're not building um, and expanding uh, brick and mortar expansion? I mean, we're going to have to do some of that, but how do we do better with the capacity we have? So We've got adaptive control systems that are integrated into our traffic signal network. So we, you know, believe it or not, Reva Road, uh, Forest Drive, they are what we call adaptive management. So the, the signal technology will adapt to the traffic that, that it's observing at the time and adjust it in a, in a synchronized way. So they're not preset at, okay, every 30 seconds or every 60 seconds. They're constantly changing based on the traffic they're measuring, the 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 technology so and we're expanding that um we're also looking um at smart uh meter well already in our wastewater and water plants especially we have what we call supervisory control and data acquisition technology which basically allows us to to monitor everything that's going on in our water plants any time of the day and so if we get an alarm that we've got a chlorine alarm or we've got a, a fluoride alarm or or some kind of a sediment basin alarm We'll get that alarm, and our um, operators from home can access their iPad that has secure technology. It's not in an open server. It's, it's in a controlled loop. Um, they can control valves and actuators and level controls and things like that from home using the remote technology. We're now going to be expanding it, hopefully. We've got a capital project to be um, installing, uh, designing, and then installing smart meters, uh, water meters, and what this will allow us to do is, if you have a, a leak in your house, okay, uh, your water, your toilet's leaking, you may not know that until you get your next bill, right? And your next bill is is a it's quarterly, so it's three months. So, say you just paid your your bill of January, yet the very next day you get a water leak, you don't know it until you get your bill in April. And then, now you you really and, and then you really know then it, then you
1: really know it. Then
0: you really know it, and you may not get it until April 15th. So you, it's measuring what you had for the three months, then you don't get the bill for another two weeks, and all of a sudden you get shocked, yeah, and uh, well, what's going on. With smart meters, um, we'll be able to – we'll know what a the typical customer's pattern – and I'm not saying this is any kind of like um, – this isn't big government or anything – but you know, customer, you know, residential, commercial have certain use patterns, and if we see, if the system sees something that's out of range, it'll send an alarm to us and to the customer that hey, something unusual is going on um, in your usage pattern, and it would alert you immediately of what might be a, an online on property leak. Okay. and then that would allow you to immediately address it. We would immediately know, and we could we could work to get it fixed. Um, so that would save. Not, that just saves water. It also saves um, money for the, the, the customer.
1: Oh, without it? I mean, so it could be something like, okay, well, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm filling up my pool. That makes sense to, like, yeah, no, I've never right. done anything, and um, I, I better get my, my toilets checked.
0: Exactly. And that's the kind of thing that helps us to confirm and verify what may – because we, could, could we say, hey, you know, when somebody calls about their uh, high bill and we say, well, it looks like between this day and that day you had a lot of usage, and we can even compute how many gallons it was. Do you have a pool? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, were you filling it around it? Yes, I was. Okay. And then they can apply for a pool credit, which means they they don't get billed for the sewer usage, just the water usage. Okay. So it allows us all to make smarter decisions and confirm things that anomalies that that now can be explained. With quarterly billing, it's kind of a shot in the dark trying to figure these things out. I guess, go technology. It's technology, I think, that we're embracing more and more. To make better decisions, smarter decisions, and, and be more responsive.
1: I guess gone are the days of the cams and the contacts and the signal controllers and the 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 wastewater operator doing tests every every hour to make sure everything's gone, which is fantastic.
0: And that's that also gets to another issue, which is workforce um, succession. You know, how do we? Uh, you know, the, our our workforce, our workplace is changing. You know, our baby boomers are retiring and and the workplace demands are changing and it's becoming much more technology driven how where am i finding my next operators to run these plants that um are mechanically inclined but also technology inclined and it's tough because i'm competing with the googles and the amazons and the all the big tech companies um uh, you know, and and it's it's going to be that's going to be one of our big challenges i see Heading into the future, is workforce succession.
1: You need to get like napping pods,
0: right? Right, <laughs> but it's hard. But it's hard to give that when you say, "Oh, you're going to be working at a wastewater plant and <laughs> you know pulling sample, pulling wastewater samples and dealing with biosolids and sludge and you know it, it's it's uh, we try to make it as sexy as we can, but you can only go so far with that.
1: Well, I'll tell you, as we wrap it up, I mean, first of all, congratulations on all that you've done. I mean, it's fascinating that you've how the technology has really impacted this and where it's looking to do. And it's obvious that the county is really on the leading edge of uh, being green, being environmentally friendly, both through the water as well as the recycling programs. And, you know, with, you know, 25 years, but you specifically in this position with through three administrations, you know, you're do, you're doing a hell of a job. I mean, it's uh not easy with, you know, seven hundred people and hundred and sixty six thousand curbside customers breathing down your neck. I don't envy you at all. <laughs> well. But to get get information well, about which you all do, aacounty.org, dot org and then surf over to public works, best way?
0: That's that's the best way. Um and you can also, you know, we have the C Click Fix app. Um that's out there. Uh, so if you see a pothole or, or you know what appears to be some kind of environmental uh, condition that uh, looks questionable, whatever, traffic signals out, C um, Click Fix uh, is is one way to um, to go. And then if it's uh, if it's real emergency, we have uh, 410-222-8400. That's an around the clock twenty four uh, seven dispatch uh, center for any uh, infrastructure related issue that a, a customer may encounter. And, and you can call it during the day too, it, but, um, it is, uh, weekends and, uh, o- overnight as well. These things happen when we're asleep, right? The, the yeah. Things break yeah. when, uh, when, when we're not ready for it. But, um, but yeah. So in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, we've, we've got a presence in all these portals. And one thing I, I also want to mention is we, we have, um, initiated a, a, a sort of an outreach campaign to do better connecting with the public about what we do and them understanding what we do and who to contact, how to contact us. Um, and that's, uh, we've developed a dpw and you campaign. And then you can go to DPW, all one word, DPW&U, Y-O-U, dot com. And there's a lot of, uh, that, that's a way to contact us and get more um, information on, on our services. And and we've learned a lot because we've gone through, through some surveys um, using the community college to figure out um, you know where are we lacking where where do we what where can we do better I mean everything but what what should be our areas of focus and so it's helping us to sort of target our uh, ability to do better and meet the
1: that's fantastic I I guess the only thing we need now is your home address in case we really have an issue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> but well,
1: you 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 are a resident of the county. You've been in the county for many years, right?
0: That's right. Yes. Yeah.
1: So that's um, uh, that's great. Well, I'll tell you, Chris Phipps, director of public works for Anne Arundel County, um, great insight. And I'll make sure that we get all links to all of these—the uh, apps, the Recycle Coach, the C Fix or the C Click Fix, and uh, DPWNU, as well as the the main county website and the phone numbers down in the show notes for people that are listening. If you are one of the 166,000 customers of Anoronda County, cut these guys some breaks. They're busting their chops out on the road every single day, and I, I mean, I've I've followed trash trucks and I've just watched these guys hustle, and I, I don't envy them. I am impressed by them. Uh, the hustle and and, and they, every, everybody does care. Everybody does make a mistake. If you're perfect, then, you know, go for it. But uh, no, no, but nobody, nobody's perfect. We all do make mistakes. And certainly in this time of COVID I think that's um, something we all probably ought to think a little bit about. I heard um, Dr. uh Arman from the health department saying that a lot of his uh, COVID inspectors are getting harassed and threatened and everything else, which is just unacceptable. Everybody is trying to do their best, do their job. And you guys have done a hell of a job with it.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And um, I I hope, you know, we continue to do that. And hopefully the the citizens um, recognize that as well. And, you know, we're here to serve everyone. And we take every complaint seriously and we we accept all congratulations as well. So um, we're here and we're not going to we're not leaving um, and we're here to serve. Fantastic. Chris Phipps, Director of Public Works for Anne Arundel County. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Take care. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion on Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at ionannapolis. Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.